and welcome back to our latest episode of On the Job with Porak podcast. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak, with Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz joining us via Zoom. Today we have in David Mistagny of Mistagny Holstead and Tim Talbot of Reigns, Lucia, Stern, St. Fowl, and Silver, better known as RLS. We're here really to talk about uh, Senate Bill 2 and also that both of them will be presenting at our annual symposium to talk a little bit more in depth, get the membership prepped uh, for what to expect uh, down the road. So in all my time I've been up here, which has been short, only four years, uh, it's, you know, SB2 was very unique. It was a lot different than AB 931, uh, you know, the use of force stuff that we'd gone through. And the fact that, you know, in SB2, it really, I think everybody at the table knew that there was going to be a licensure program and it was going to happen in California. So I guess from our perspective, or uh, I'll let you answer it, either David or Tim, you know, what were your thoughts when, obviously, when you first saw the piece of crap that came across the table, it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen to where we ultimately ended up uh, for a piece of legislation. So either one of you guys want to go first? One of the things that I think everybody needs to understand is the way things work at the Capitol with the committees, and particularly the Public Safety Committee, is that they can kill our competing bills, which would have been a sensible licensing program that 100% of people could have supported. And so instead, they forced an all or nothing on SB2, and they threw the kitchen sink at us. And where I think Porak and the team did outstanding is that there was a lot of misdirections and efforts to try to distract us on things like the composition of the advisory board so that we missed the most important things. And it, it didn't work. There's a lot in this bill we don't like. It's different than some of the other legislative fights. But on the things that we had to have, where you don't have double jeopardy for officers that have already proven their innocence, where you have post making independent determinations as opposed to biased anti-police panel, Porak did an outstanding job. But there's still a lot in the bill that we don't like. How about you, Tim? What's, uh, what are your perspective on that? So I think what made this entire process complicated and more daunting was exactly um, the kitchen sink approach. Um, there was an opportunity for those advocating for police reform to uh, latch on to what was going on nationally and use that platform to really go aggressively. And in politics, that's what you do. If you feel the wind is blowing in your direction, you go for everything that you can. And they certainly took advantage of it. And we saw pieces of this, uh, what ultimately became SB2 and the things that were floated out during that process. In the year prior, we started to see a run up of it, but it wasn't as well coalesced and consolidated. So when people see SB2 and they look at how many pages it is, you're immediately going, oh my gosh, look at all of this stuff. But what it really is, is, and using David's term, Frankenstein's monster, it is a bolt on of a lot of different concepts all placed in one bill with the idea, if I can get this, I get all the other stuff. And that's why we had to spend so much time working through dissecting it and trying to find the places where we could um, assert our points as well as we could. And the last thing on that process that I, I was struck by throughout is those that were advocating for SB2 and other types of bills were so confident in their positions, it really didn't matter what 
we said. And in fact, some of the uh, staff members for the politicians said as much, well, that's all well and good, but we're doing this anyway. Yeah. You know, and I do want to, uh, I want to thank both of you personally and also on behalf of PORAC. I thought you two made an incredible team to have you as a, uh, a source, uh, a legal source for us to, uh, to analyze the legislation and what was being sent to us, uh, reviewing it and coming back very timely uh, and, and very rapidly with edits, modifications, because uh, like you said, it really was a team effort. And, um, you know, there was other groups involved, other law enforcement, police unions were, were involved in this. And making sure that we were somewhat all on the same page because uh, the amount of work uh, that you had to put in for this, uh, the membership will never know. Um, but wherever I go, I always thank you for the great work. I think you guys made a fabulous team uh, and you continue to do additional work on us because we're seeing so much legislation, so much police legislation. It's just when we first originally reached out, we were like, hey, we're only going to need you maybe for the use of force, AB 392, 931, SB2. But it's just the it's like a watershed every year of uh, new bills. And we just continue to send you stuff. It's like, hey, and now we're having to deal with stuff on the national level with the uh, the presidency's executive order, which is critical uh, that we get out in front of that. So uh, thank you again for the uh, incredible work that you did on getting SB2 from its start which was a piece of pile of crap to at least something now where we can work with it and, and when we can live with it and we can prepare our members of what that's going to look like. And I think it's extremely important that we get our association leaders and members to attend our symposium so they can hear it firsthand from you two of what, what are the expectations? What's coming down the pipe? I mean, Post is already working and drafting the policies and procedures and what that's going to look like and try to get that implemented. Um, you know, some of the numbers I've seen of people the initial year, they're expecting over a thousand uh, cases to come before post. Uh, that's an immense amount of work that needs to be done on behalf of post. But also from your perspective, uh, as attorneys who are out there, uh, you know, dealing on the front lines of having to defend officers, um, what kind of, uh, what are you expecting on your end on having to defend officers that are going through the process based on based on what you know what the bill looks like right now, and obviously we don't know what post policies and procedures are going to be, but what kind of workload do you think that you'll have moving forward on dealing with an officer that has to go through this process? Uh, David? The honest answer is I think we're not sure at, at this stage. This bill is a monstrosity. And thank you, by the way, for those nice compliments. It was Tim and my privilege and honor to be able to do that. He and I sat down for probably, what, two hours and went line by line through the bill because there's so much different stuff in there from additional civil liability to investigations and reinvestigations. And a lot of the most important stuff, it's really thin on, like, what does the due process look like if your license is revoked? As best we can tell, it looks like you get supergroup Skelly hearing in front of this advisory panel and then... Maybe you have another opportunity to be heard in front of the post commission. It's not really clear, and we're trying to work some stuff out with the regulations on that. And then you have a full-blown evidentiary hearing with an administrative law judge. 
the two biggest questions on what the workload will look like is, number one, is Post going to conduct its own parallel investigations and compel officers to come and provide statements? Right now, it looks like that's not their intention, but the bill does allow for it. And then the other is, how many people are going to have their licenses revoked and want to fight those? And I think we're really just going to take a little bit of time to figure that out. Yeah, I I agree with everything David said, and I do want to thank you. It was a privilege. Um, And I think David and I worked well together um, on all aspects of this. And I would just add, he mentioned two hours going through it. We spent hours every time there was a new amendment or what got taken out, got put back in or somewhere else. We had to spend immense amounts of time going back through because the sneaky part of it was that something that was in one section got relocated sort of innocuously somewhere else, but never went away. And so we really worked to try to pay attention to that so we didn't get any surprises. But I do think it's too early to know. I I, I do believe uh, our intent from the beginning in terms of the process would be to really have the agencies continue to do most of the investigatory work and make factual findings as to what an officer may have done or not done. And I think our hope is that that still continues so that a lot of the work that's done in defense of an officer or representation is really happening through a process similar to what we do now. And we just have to be mindful of the additional level like we do in, say, a a critical incident or something where we're always thinking there's a criminal investigation, there's a civil investigation, there's an administrative investigation. We've got now this licensing piece of it. Um, and then also there's always the Brady piece of it that looms sort of as the fifth. So I think the representatives, the attorneys are just going to be thinking a little more broadly when they walk into those. But, you know, to David's point, we really don't know what that's going to look like coming out of it and, and how elaborate the second step may be. Another piece that is a worry of Tim and mine is, are they going to try to go back and retroactively look at certain things? And there's not a complete retroactivity within the bill, but there are certain categories like dishonesty, sexual assault. And the one that we're really worried about is use of deadly force resulting in GBI or, or death. And are they going to try to dig up, you know, 5, 10, 15-year-old use of force cases? I think that highlights everything that's going on right now. And you look at what happened with uh, uh, AB 392 and SB 230, and I think they'll do the same thing with SB 2 is uh, how there will be folks that will try to insert their own interpretation as to what was negotiated and what the bills ultimately end up with. Um, I think it's so it's super important that, you know, if folks have the ability to come to symposium, and I know I'm pushing symposium on folks, but um, having the ability to talk to you guys, you negotiated the, the terms, you got into what every word means and having that ability to hear that. So when they go back to their departments and they're trying to impose policies that are trying to change procedures based on what they think it means, they have that firsthand knowledge saying, no, that's not what it means. This, this is what it was negotiated because they're going to do that. And we know that. That's what I found also outside of SB2 is working with the other side was, is there, I don't know if nefarious is the right word, but uh, sounds good for this conversation. Uh, You know, they would remove it from a section and place it somewhere else, like you said, or they would reword it 
but semantically it meant the same thing. And uh, it, it's hard. It's hard working uh, in an environment like that. Um, obviously, uh, even in contract negotiations, the shenanigans cities and counties pull are nowhere near uh, what we saw in this. But uh, we did ultimately, uh, you know, the governor signed it and, and it's going to go into effect. Based on what you were seeing from the language where we were originally at and to where it ultimately ended up in your profession, your experiences that you've had, um, you know, I'll hand this off to Tim. What can you say about that? Just in the sense of where it started to where it ended. I mean, uh, Damon and I try to go to chapter meetings and we talk to people and we're like, it isn't as bad as it could have been. But sometimes that's not really like people want to hear that. Exactly right. It's hard for people to wrap their heads around how bad something could have been when they're not living with it and they're not seeing the prior iterations. Um, and you know as well as any of us in this room that uh, uh, where it started was really bad. All I can say to summarize it is uh, it was tilted to make it pretty easy to accuse a law enforcement officer of pretty much anything that someone dislikes or found bothersome on some level, whether it was moored or anchored to any true factual finding, any legal standard, or any conduct that we would recognize as acceptable for law enforcement. Those were all out the window. If I didn't like what I saw, you shouldn't be a cop anymore. That's about where it was. And so now we've got at least a process in place, some standards that we can work with. Um, they are still evolving in the regulations. Um, David and I have been really trying to spend some time thinking about how to give uh, officers the best objective uh, assessment of whatever it is that might find its way in front of the uh, licensing bodies, because there's several of them, but post ultimately to give a cop more of a holistic look at their career and not just, I didn't like the way that one thing looked, you shouldn't be a cop again. And I think that's going to be the next phase of, of the challenge. But um, I don't think I'm really overstating it when I said it was in a version, I don't like it and you're gone is about where it started. I would completely agree with that. One of the one of the biggest improvements on that bill was the change from empowering this advisory board made up of nine people, seven of whom have no subject matter expertise and have personal biases that are required in order to be eligible that would really render it inappropriate to have them on this panel. And they had all of the power to make political decisions rather than decisions based on evidence and based on law. And then they had a bunch of other red herrings that they tried to distract us with. And our team was able to pinpoint those key issues and put the power in post and at a high standard of clear and convincing evidence. So I think it's miles better than where it started. But the unfortunate thing, you know, and again, this gets back to the way that bills get made in the Capitol, is there were consensus bills that would have had a fair process from start to finish that would have probably gotten 100% support on the floor, but they just got killed and never got through committee so that the author could push this as you either agree with everything that I want or you're opposed to licensing. Yeah, and, and you and you talked about it earlier in the show about the fact that they killed our companion bill, not not a companion bill, our competing bill. So it really came down to just this one bill, and the uh, 
obviously everything that was going on in the United States at the time, the pressure uh, must have been uh, immense on our elected officials. Uh, I was telling everybody, I go, there's there's no damn in the world going to stop back the political pressure to make sure that this bill doesn't make it uh, into law. And and obviously it is now. So um, like I've been telling everybody, it's, it's really important if you can make it to symposium this year. I think this is probably going to be one of the most important symposiums we've had in a while, just on the fact of, of listening to your presentation, because I think it's just vital extremely vital if you're an association leader or in leadership with a with a police union that you come out and attend because this is a sea change for our profession in a sense of now you have to have a license uh, where we didn't have to have that before. So uh, again, I appreciate both of you coming in. Do you have any uh, closing comments there, Damon? Yeah, we want to take it back to symposium. Part of the teaser here, you know, obviously SB2 is super important. We want people to come out and talk. Uh, and, and listen and answer all the questions they may have on how this is going to be implemented. But also, I think it's important to uh, come out and network with your colleagues and find out what's going on around the state. And uh, we're going to culminate our annual symposium with our third attempt at our first annual golf tournament. And it happens to be on April 1st. So it's no fooling. We are going to have it. It's a best ball tournament. So if you don't play golf, it doesn't matter. It's about coming out, having a good time and enjoying the process and raising money for the uh, our relief fund that allows us to do so much uh, for our members. Thank you all for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak with David Mistagny and Tim Talbot. If you haven't already, like and subscribe to this podcast and share us on social media. If you have any topic ideas, feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram with your suggestions. As always, we'd like to close this podcast by thanking all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. We hope you stay safe and have a great day. PORAC is California's largest law enforcement organization and the largest statewide association in the nation, representing over 77,000 public safety members since 1953. Our monthly podcasts, as well as past episodes, are available on PORAC.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, PORAC's YouTube channel, or where popular podcasts are downloaded. Be sure to follow us on all our social media platforms and tag us with your suggestions for future show topics. To learn more about our organization, visit us at PORAC. Porak.org. We are Porak.